Hi everyone, and welcome back to the Capoeira History Podcast, Singing for Survival. This is your host, Desconfiado. In this first real episode of this podcast, we're going to be going over one of the earliest Capoeira legends within Brazil, and that's Zumbi and the Quilombos dos Palmares. I had a lot of fun doing the research for this episode. Um, Zumbi is a figure that being in Capoeira, you hear a lot about both in songs and a lot of the the iconography around the art. Um, so it was really fascinating to to dig into what literature is available to to learn about the conditions surrounding Brazil uh, around this time and the development of the Quilombos dos Palmares that kind of paved the way for Zumbi to be a really prominent figure within the country. Zumbi is not, at least in most iterations, considered a capoeirista himself per se, but as we'll get into, a lot of the philosophies and fighting styles that he was using, developing, and teaching uh, relate pretty closely to how we think about capoeira today. And as we get into that, it'll be really clear why Zumbi is considered one of the most important figures in Capoeira history uh, and one of the most important symbols to Capoeira today. So without further ado, Zumbi and the Quilombos dos Palmares. To really understand Zumbi, we first have to talk about the Quilombos dos Palmares. Early Brazilian history is built entirely on the transatlantic slave trade. Starting in the early 1500s, African people were imported in huge numbers to support several different industries in Brazil. The specific industry that we're talking about varies a lot depending on the specific time frame we're looking at in Brazil. It varied from wood to coffee to sugar and gold even. Um, but the details of all these industries, the work conditions around them, uh, and why they were so important in Brazil are something we'll talk about in some later episodes. Much like in the U.S., the Africans brought to Brazil faced completely inhuman conditions, uh, both in the way they were transported and the work conditions that they faced once they got to Brazil. And there's really a lot in that topic to cover, um, and it's something we'll, we will go into further uh, later on. But a, a good illustrative example is life expectancy. So for some of the, the more extreme labor jobs, uh, like in this case gold mining, the life expectancy for a for a slave brought over to Brazil was 
uh, oftentimes less than 10 years. And that's, that's pretty staggering to think about. Um, and it's, it's, it's documented. Um, you can see that the, uh, the Portuguese who were bringing over these people um, had you know, life expectancy as something they considered when they were planning out these industries in a really kind of detached and inhuman way. And it's very clear when you look at these things and when you read these records um, that they really saw these people as livestock. Um, and it's very similar to the way that uh, people thought about and, and treated the African slaves in both the United States and in the Caribbean. Due to the oppression that the African people found themselves in here in Brazil, many fought to escape from their captivity. And this is not unique to Brazil. It's something we see in both the, uh, the United States as well as the, the Caribbean islands, uh, where you see revolts, revolutions, and escapes. Um, in Brazil, when the slaves would escape from the, the plantations, they would flee into the forests to establish uh, small villages or refuges there. And again, like like I keep drawing parallels, this is this is very similar to um, really all other parts of the African diaspora in the the, the quote unquote new world, um, where you have essentially what you could call escaped slave villages in the U.S. and and several Caribbean islands. They were referred to as maroon towns, and in Brazil, um, they were called quilombos. These quilombos took advantage of the natural terrain of Brazil and in particular the forests that they were uh, developed in to defend themselves. Um, the forests were often described by the Portuguese as impenetrable and rugged and by escaping deep into these forests using that terrain and uh, working with the native uh, Amerindians of the area these quilombos were able to survive. The biggest and most famous quilombo was the Quilombo dos Palmares. This was located in the northeastern state of Alagoas and bordering on to present-day Pernambuco. And to help you visualize exactly where this was, I'll include a link to a, uh, a map that outlines exactly where the, uh, the Palmares were in relation to the present-day Brazilian states. It's important to note here that the Palmares was not just a single quilombo, but it was a network of quilombos spread throughout the forest. Founded in the early 1600s, the Quilombos dos Palmares was a fully functioning and self-sustaining quilombo, unlike many other of the time. They grew crops, produced rope and straw goods and ceramics, and used the products that they were producing to trade uh, nearby communities for things like firearms and salt that they weren't able to make completely on their own. What's interesting here is first that from the products that we're seeing uh, produced in the Palmares, it's evident that there's not just escaped African uh, slaves living there, but also the the local Amerindians, uh, such as the Tupi, um, who were contributing to this developing what was really a society. 
Um, and, and in addition, like I'm kind of hinting at, this is looking less like a simple refuge or, or a, a, a runaway gathering here in the forest. It's more looking like a really developed community. And that's more clear when we look at the leadership structure. So the Palmares was ruled by their king, uh, the most famous being Ganga Zumba, who resided in their capital city of Makako. So it's important to note that when, uh, when we refer to Ganga Zumba, Ganga is his title. So, and it, it derives from the Bantu term Nganga, which refers to a king or chief or ruler. So Makako, by the standards of the Kilombos, was very large. Uh, it was said to have consisted of 1,500 homes, 220 service buildings, four blacksmith shops, and a government house. Um, and when you, you kind of paint this picture of the capital city, you can see that it's, it's much more developed than a lot of the other Kilombos of the time. And uh, the, the very established leadership structure seems to resemble that of Central African nations of the time. We mentioned earlier that the Quilombos relied a lot on the natural terrain to defend themselves. Um, but in the case of the Palmares, this was not the only thing that they used. Makako was reported to be surrounded by a double palisade with a spike-lined trough inside. And there are several other reports from the Portuguese of different traps and tactics that were employed by the by those in the Palmares to defend their land. And it's when you put all of these together, it's it's clear that the Palmares doesn't look like a refuge. It doesn't look like a a hideout. It looks like its own separate uh, city state within Brazil. Um, it, it, even in the way that it, you know relates to other communities. It had established trade. It had a very well-defined leadership structure. It had a well-established capital city and a network of other quilombos around supporting it. So the this is different. This is extremely different than the way that other quilombos of the time worked. It was why the, the quilombos dos palmares was so powerful and why it was so important as a symbol of resistance. So, in this setting, rises to prominence Zumbi. So Zumbi's exact origin is not very clear. There are conflicting stories. Some say that he was born in the Quilombos dos Palmares, and others say that he was an African king sold into slavery, who then escaped to the Palmares. But whatever his origin, uh, Zumbi became the sergeant of arms at the Palmares, under the king Ganga Zumba. This means that he was responsible for training the, the warriors in the Palmares to fight against the Portuguese and, in some cases, the Dutch. Uh, and he did this with Angolan fighting techniques such as Sangar, uh, which we will definitely have to do a separate episode on, uh, and, most importantly, uh, practices of ritualistic combat. So I want to call really special attention to these because while these aren't capoeira per se 
and most stories agree that there's not necessarily what we think of as capoeira here. It it seems to clearly be the roots of capoeira. When we have Angolan fighting techniques, we have ritualistic combat. These are super important elements of capoeira. So it's it's conceivable that this is we're we're looking at kind of the the baby steps of capoeira happening in the Quilombos dos Palmares. Zumbi was also responsible for recruiting fighters to help defend the Palmares. Uh, and this was done by raiding plantations to free slaves that were kept there. Um, what's a really interesting tidbit here and gives a lot of insight into who Zumbi was is that slaves that were freed were then required to help free other slaves in order to stay in the Palmares. Uh, this, this really gives a look into who Zumbi was as someone with very strong principles and was unyielding in the way that he applied them. And we'll see more of that as we get into some of his later actions. So now that we've set the stage for what the Quilombos dos Palmares were and who Zumbi was and his importance to the Quilombos, I want to take a short break and go back to the song that we started the episode with. So I'm going to play just a couple verses here and then we're going to talk about it. Yeah. 
I really just love this track. And first, just because of the the energy behind it, the passion of the lead singer, the the rest of the chorus there, um, it just you really feel a lot when you listen to a track like this. Um, and more than that, once we take it a step further, the lyrics are really deep and powerful, and they talk a lot about the conditions of slavery, the search for liberty, uh, which is just central to uh, to Capoeira philosophy and um, the attitudes around resistance within Capoeira. And there's there's so much material in this song. There's so many different verses that have really a lot to say. We could spend a whole episode unpacking all of this. But just to stay focused on our, our topic at hand, I just want to briefly talk about the, the chorus here. So the chorus starts, Eu não posso ficar aqui. I can't stay here. La pra senzala eu não quero ir. Um, I, I don't want to go to the, the senzala, which is the, the slave quarters. Hoje eu vou me libertar. Today I'm going to free myself, to liberate myself. Vou lá pra capoeira. I'm going there for capoeira. Vou encontrar zumbi. I'm going to to find Zumbi, to meet Zumbi. Um, so this is this is clearly, you know, from the perspective of a of a slave who is um, reaching the point where he needs his liberation. He needs to free himself. He can't go back. He can't go and stay in the uh, in the senzala in the in the conditions of his enslavement. So he's going to escape to find Zumbi and to find Capoeira. Zumbi being this symbol of resistance, this symbol of escape. Um, I think it's interesting that the, the person who wrote this song uh, put, I'm going to find Capoeira and to find Zumbi. Um, and I think there's uh, a potential double meaning here that gets a little bit to the origins of even the word Capoeira. So, um, there's, there's a lot of debate on where the, the word capoeira comes from, but one of, the, uh, one of the ideas, one of the theories, is it comes from a, a Tupi word, which is actually capoeira, which refers to, um, they, they call depleted forest or slash and burned forest, uh, which is a clearing technique that the, the Tupi used in um, in creating and defending their their settlements in the forest, and it was something that was seen used in the Quilombos. It was normally the the Quilombo was surrounded by an area of of slash and burned forest, uh, which made it easier to defend. So, what you could you could say is that these Quilombos were surrounded by capoeira in the Tupi sense. So. In this song, saying "I'm going to find Zumbi and find Capoeira," you find Capoeira by going to the Quilombo because you have to pass through it. Um, and in addition, you know we consider Zumbi at at the roots of Capoeira. So um, I think it's it's an interesting you know potential double meaning here that is is you often find in Capoeira music. Um, and I just wanted to kind of throw that out there just to to make you think about it a little bit. But uh, with that, enough about this song for now. Um, I'll end the episode just 
playing out the rest of this track just because I love it so much and I feel like it's really worth listening to. But now, back to our story on Zumbi. So at this point in our story, we are in the mid to, to later 1600s where Ganga Zumba is the king of the Palmares and Zumbi is the sergeant of arms. So at this point, the, uh, the Quilombos Los Palmares has existed for decades. Like I said before, it was founded in the early 1600s. So the Portuguese were not exactly content with allowing the Palmares to exist on its own. Um, even though the Palmares were largely self-sufficient, they still frequently raided plantations and supply lines in the regions to free more slaves. But I think more importantly was because of the success of the Palmares, because of how long it had lasted, how large it was, and how well developed the community and society in it was, um, it was a very uh, important symbolic threat to Portuguese rule. Um, like I was talking about before, we can kind of consider the Palmares almost it's an independent city-state. And that was encouraging more and more revolution within the, the enslaved community under the Portuguese. Like I said earlier, at this point, the Palmares had survived for several decades, and it wasn't for lack of trying from the Portuguese. More Portuguese soldiers were used trying to destroy the Palmares than were used in a war with the Dutch over some of that Brazilian territory, and with really almost no success. The Palmares were able to resist the Portuguese so well because of a combination of their various fighting and defensive techniques. We already talked about the terrain of the forests uh, being described as uh, impenetrable by the Portuguese, but kind of coexisting with the, the forest terrain itself was also disease and insects that the, the, the Portuguese and Dutch people were especially susceptible to. In addition to that, the tactics of the Palmerinos were very effective against the Portuguese and were seen to parallel those of Central African tribes of the time. They favored sabotage, clever traps, uh, attacks against supply lines to stabilize and prevent the advance of the Portuguese armies. On top of that, they had spies in nearby towns and plantations who would warn of Portuguese plans, making it very hard to surprise the Palmares. And probably most importantly, the combat fronts were extremely fluid. A common tactic of the Palmares was to abandon a quilombo that was being advanced upon uh, and retreat farther into the forest. This in particular was a very well-known Central African tactic and one that I feel relates closely to the Capoeira principle of Nagasa. Uh, Nagasa is uh, can be seen as denying your opponent and I, I I've heard it described as denying one's body to the blow of an attacker. And th this kind of tactic seems uh, really congruent with that, uh, that principle where you are 
just not being where your attacker shows up. You're not being there when the blow falls, which is um, a really core Capoeira principle, uh, which is, again, why I want to reiterate, it, it feels that a lot of the philosophies of more modern-day Capoeira are present here in the tactics of the Quilombos. So it's, it's kind of easy to see where the roots of the modern art lie here. So because of the effectiveness of the Palmares in pushing back the Portuguese, there was a, a kind of stalemate between the two for several decades. And this, this lasted all the way up into the 1690s, when we see a change with the arrival of Domingos Jorge Velho. Velho was a Bandeiranchi captain who commanded a large group of enslaved Amerindian warriors. Bandeiranchis were explorers and slavers who primarily sought to uh, enslave the local population of Amerindians for um, their knowledge of the of the Brazilian terrain and the forests. They often used these people to hunt down escaped slaves and go after uh, a lot of the Quilombos because they knew the terrain and they were familiar with the tactics of the Quilombos themselves. So this gave a distinct advantage over the current Portuguese forces um, due to the knowledge that not only Velho had, but his, his band of Amerindian warriors that he had captured. And with this knowledge and skill, Value was able to make significant progress against the forces of the Palmares. Fearing for the defeat of his kingdom, Ganga Zumba made a peace deal with the Portuguese to try to end the fighting. In this deal, he had promised to return all fugitive slaves to their owners in exchange for allowing the Quilombos dos Palmares to exist. It's, it's a little unclear as to why Ganga Zumba would have made this deal uh, because it was well known at this point that the the Portuguese were were rather untrustworthy in in these kinds of dealings that they would make with native populations and and the African populations as well um, but regardless the deal was made and this deal enraged Zumbi he certainly didn't trust the Portuguese uh, because of these reasons that I listed uh, and he refused to accept the concession of returning the Palmarinos to slavery. So, Zumbi staged a revolt, killed Ganga Zumba with poison tea, and in doing so became the new king himself. Uh, and this is where we start to see Zumbi referred to as Ganga Zumbi. Um, Ganga being that uh, honorific Bantu word for king, which is why a lot of songs and iconography of Zumbi refer to him as Ganga Zumbi. And as his first act, Zumbi destroyed the peace deal and fighting with the Portuguese resumed. The Palmares fought valiantly against the Portuguese. However, Value's forces were able to be constantly resupplied by nearby settlements, giving them near limitless resources with which to wear down the Palmares. Still, 
It took two full years for all of Zumbi's forces to be pushed back to a single position. The final attack on Zumbi's last stronghold lasted six weeks until finally Zumbi and the last of the Palmares were defeated. As with his birth, there are conflicting stories on the nature of Zumbi's death. Some say that facing defeat, Zumbi threw himself from a cliff rather than be captured. Others claim that he was captured and beheaded and his head put on display. But whatever the case, Zumbi died a hero and a legend. And his legend has lived on long after his death, with Zumbi being considered the first honorary capoeirista and continuing to appear in both capoeira iconography and songs through the modern day. And it's easy to see why Zumbi is so important to capoeira culture, even though by most accounts he was likely not a capoeirista per se. Uh, Zumbi represents one of the largest and most successful resistances to the Portuguese throughout the early history of Brazil. Uh, he himself was a great warrior and was responsible for recruiting and training other warriors, making him a very literal symbol of the fight against oppression. Uh, but the quality of Zumbi that I want to really emphasize is his unyielding principles and sense of justice. And we can see this in his requirement of newly freed slaves to help free other slaves, uh, and also in his... Uh, revolt against Ganga Zumba and the concessions that were made to the Portuguese. Um, for all of these reasons, Zumbi will continue to be one of the most important legends in Capoeira and Afro-Brazilian history, and we can learn a lot by remembering his life and his actions. And on top of all that, what I think is really interesting when looking back at this history and the history of the Palmares are the seeds of capoeira. We have a lot of principles of capoeira that exist in the principles of their fighting techniques and their defensive tactics. And when we talk about soft power is, being, is a really important one. Um, ritualistic combat is a super important one. And it's, it's clear that even though at that time there's not, there's most likely not what we consider modern day capoeira. There are pieces of it. You can see it being brought together. And I think that's one of the most interesting parts of walking through the history of Brazil, especially looking from the lens of a capoeirista, because you can see all of these little elements start to appear in different things. And as we walk through the other, uh, stories of different people and different songs, we're going to see a lot more of that. So that is, to me, the most interesting part of our, our walk through Brazilian and Capoeira's history. So that concludes our, our episode today on, on Zumbi and the Quilombos dos Palmares. Uh, but that doesn't mean that I've said all there is to say about either of these things. So because of that, I want to open it up to all of you. I, I want you to send me questions that you have about either of these things uh, or stories that you've heard that maybe I didn't bring up or even just songs about Zumbi or that include the Quilombos Tos Palmares that mean a lot to you. 
Um, after I collect these, I want to have another episode where we, we talk about them uh, and, and we learn even more about both of these in this kind of community effort. So please, I'll, I'll put up my email in the description again. Uh, I welcome you to send me uh, whatever you have to offer, uh, and I really appreciate the input. The next full episode that I will be releasing here is going to be on Lumpion. So for that next episode, we're jumping all the way forward to the early 1900s, to the time of Al Capone and John Dillinger and Bonnie and Clyde, uh, to talk about the, their Brazilian counterpart. Lampião was a extremely uh, popular among the, the common folk hero that antagonized the government, antagonized the police uh, in a very similar way to the, um, to the, the, the gangsters in the United States that I mentioned. Um, and I like to think of him as, as like a, a Capoeira comic book hero or even more specifically, uh, a couple of a combination of, say, Batman and Robin Hood. And we'll get into why once we start to look through his history and his, uh, his intentions and his motivations. Um, I think Lumpion was really interesting to get into because he's more recent, so there's a lot more uh, existing literature on him and even photos. So I hope that you'll join me in that. Uh, and with that, until next time, I hope you all tune in, and I'll leave you with the rest of the song that we talked about earlier. Thank you, everyone.